The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning, everybody. We can certainly praise the Lord because I think today spring has sprung. <laughs> it is glorious, isn't it? So my name is David Pollandine, and believe it or not, me, me and my family, my family sitting over there, Afana and Zen and Zara's with the uh, children's, children's work, but we've been here five years. It's incredible. We've been coming here for five years to this wonderful church. So that's, uh, that's something to celebrate, certainly for us. Um, so we're going to go through some of the announcements. Um, if you're new to White Ridge Baptist Church, you are very welcome. Thank you for joining us today, whether you're here or online. And actually, if you're sitting in a seat, you can actually fill out, fill out a welcome card, which is just slotted in front of you. Um, and you can also do that online, and you can also do that on our app. So please do that, and then we can get to know each other, and that would be wonderful. Um, also want to flag the English Conversation Circles, and that's happening this Wednesday. Um, they're having a special seminar to talk about specific topics, very important topics like resumes and job interviews. So a very practical session. And then we've got a significant others discussion group. Um, that, that's happening this Thursday. And it's a dis discussion group this Thursday, specifically understanding and reaching out to our First Nation neighbors. So a very important topic. And then we have also have the Ukrainian Task Force Prayer Time, and that's next Sunday, May the 29th. Gosh, May's almost over. And that will happen after church, after the service, and people are invited to our fireside room to pray for Ukraine. Now, the next one is one that I'm especially interested in, because I also work here at White Ridge Baptist Church on the Justice and Mercy um, group team and this one really is something that we've managed to put on so it's the let's talk about it sort of sessions and I'd love it if you joined us it's online and it's with my colleague from International Justice Mission Joash Thomas who originally comes from Mumbai and now he's with us here in Canada and he's going to present the case that justice is an integral part of being a Christian and it's a living out of the gospel. So it's a very important topic, and we're going to have a great discussion. So if you want to register for that, go online. You can do that online, or come and just speak to me, and I can help you register as well. Then we've got our financial support for um, camp workers. Um, there is a financial support available for those serving in Christian camp ministry this summer. So again, you just apply online at the or at the resource center. Um, we've got a giving slide, I think. Yes, giving. So if you wish to give to the church ministry, then there's many different ways you can do that. Um, obviously, we have an offering basket at the back as you go out. Um, but also, you can go onto our website. You can give um, through our app. There are numerous electronic ways. So we're, we're up with the times. It's lots of electronic ways that you can use. Um, and a membership meeting is happening in person um, it's a congregational meeting following the service on June the 5th, and it will include the welcoming of some new members and the approval of externally prepared financial statements for 2021. Friends, the announcements are over, and I have pleasure now to invite up Phil and Monique Nickel, who will be sharing their faith stories with us this morning. I grew up in a church-going family, and so it was very early in my life when I first heard about God and understood at the level I was at then that I needed to accept him into my life, and so I prayed to receive Jesus into my heart with a Sunday school teacher, and I thought that was it. As I was growing up, I thought that I just needed to do the right things, and God would love and accept me, and everything would be fine. So I went to church with my family twice every Sunday, catechism classes, and so on. 
And then as I got into my teen years, I began to realize that I could never do all the right things all of the time. I felt guilt and shame every time I failed. And I knew that I would never be good enough, and so I basically gave up on the faith I thought I had. I did always know that there must be a God, but I didn't want a God who, would ex who expected perfection in order to be loved. Because what kind of a God would that be? And if I was that good, I certainly wouldn't need a savior. I was living my life for me, all the while knowing that it was meaningless to do so. And I told myself that one day I would get serious about finding a faith that was real and true. Philip and I met when I was in my teens, and within a few weeks, we both had a strong feeling that this was probably it. We would likely be getting married. Over the next weeks and months, we had talked about so many things, including our faith. I learned that he grew up in a home where they went to church, and his mom especially had a strong faith in the same God that I had learned of, but a relationship with Jesus was so much more than I had known. Before we were married, we decided that we wanted to base our marriage and family on God and his word, and began reading and studying the Bible together. After we married and moved to Manitoba, we attended a very small evangelical country church, and I heard about a God of unconditional love, grace, mercy, and complete forgiveness. I began to understand that it was not about what I did, but because of God's love for me and what he did on the cross that I could have complete forgiveness of all my sins as well as eternal life. He sent his son to die for me even before I was born. I still struggled to forgive myself for all my failures and the shortcomings of my past until God finally helped me understand that if he forgave me, what made me think that what I thought would override that? I understood that guilt and shame are from the father of lies and I don't need to listen to him, only listen to God who tells me, I am loved, I am forgiven. John 8 verse 36 says, so if the son sets you free, be free indeed. And Romans 8 verse 1 to 4 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I learned that growing up in my faith is a process. It doesn't happen all at once, and the more I read and study his word and spend time in prayer, the stronger my faith becomes. We moved into Winnipeg after selling our farm, and three weeks later, our daughter was diagnosed with cancer. God had us exactly where we needed to be before we even knew why we were living where we were. We continued attending our church in the country, and once in a while, we would go to a service at a church in Winnipeg. We had visited a number of different churches, but had not found the one that we felt God was calling us to. After our daughter's cancer had returned, and we were told it was terminal, we knew we needed to find a church family because we could, would be needing support. The first time we visited White Ridge Baptist Church, we immediately felt that we could call this church home. The music was fantastic, the sermon was amazing, and the atmosphere among the people was so warm. We could sense that people loved being together visiting before and after the service. We started attending regularly and connected with some wonderful people who were a real support during the most difficult time in our lives. We found so many deep friendships through this family of believers. My faith has been tested and tried over the years through some very difficult times, but I know that God is still good and can be trusted to always be with me to help me through whatever comes. He has blessed me more than I could ever hope for with a beautiful family, wonderful friends, and a church family. But most of all, with the assurance I have that I will spend eternity with him where there's only joy, no more sorrow or tears. I know that it is because of who God is and what he's done that I'm free, not because of who I am or what I've done, and I pray I will be worthy to that which he has called me to. First Peter 1, verse 3 to 9 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation 
that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you are f- believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Good morning. <clears throat> I'm sharing my testimony with you. I hope that it will encourage you to stay faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because I am now sharing from the perspective of a life that has seen God's faithfulness in action for over 60 years. I was the sixth child in a family of eight, and we grew up on a farm where there wasn't a lot to go around. We worked hard doing chores as soon as we were old enough to pick up a pitchfork. We would go to church on Sundays, and our mom would read us bedtime uh, stories about Jesus, and we would pray before meals. That was about the extent of our introduction to Christianity. When I was 11 years old, I told my mom I wanted to accept Jesus as my personal savior. I remember how happy she was, and then she prayed with me. Although my decision to follow Christ was sincere, it was still at a childlike level. That Christmas, I received my first Bible. I went into my teens growing up in a more secular community, and with very few other Christians, I started following the crowd to fit in. Although I still believed in God and prayed every night when I was going to sleep, my walk was moving away from God. I partied with the other guys and quit going to church, and you had never known that that I had professed Jesus as my Lord and Savior if you knew me at that time. Now this is where the faithfulness of Christ comes in. I was living this way, and there was always a tug on my heart. I never felt satisfied living that way, but it was comfortable with the people I was hanging out with, and I wanted to fit in. I took carpentry at Red River Community College and then moved to Alberta to the land of milk and honey. I continued to live a life of trying to fit into the worldly crowd, and the uneasiness of living that way continued to bother me. There was no peace in my heart. It was then that I met Monique, and within a couple of weeks, I think we both knew that we were meant for each other. We both knew that this was not the life we should be living. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 6, and you, are de- you were dead in the trespass- trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So you can see, he never gave up on me. We were married a few years later and moved back to Manitoba and started farming. We had very little money, but somehow we always had enough to pay the bills and grow our little farm and family. We were blessed with six beautiful children. We were both baptized in Lake Manitoba and were very involved in the church that we attended. As we served, our faith continued to grow deeper and closer to God. Throughout the years of farming and raising our children, we had many God moments that I can only be described as that. Some were just being given clarity on what we should do in business decisions when the family and neighbors would say, that doesn't make any sense, and yet we felt being guided by the Holy Spirit, and we followed his prompting, and usually shortly after, we knew it was the right decision and some experiences were far deeper. I will share a time when we were together with another believer who came over very early in the morning, heartbroken that his wife had just left him. We were praying, and the whole room was filled with what I can only describe as a room being filled with the Holy Spirit. We stopped praying and all just looked at each other and what had just happened. Another time, we were on holidays in Mexico with our two youngest children, Jeff and Spencer. When Jeff became very ill, 
Monique took Jeff to the hospital, and they wouldn't let him leave because he had fluid in his lungs and wouldn't be able to fly until he was treated. So we decided that we should take Spencer home, that I should take Spencer home, and they would follow in a few days when Jeff would be better. He was not responding to the treatment, and his lungs continued to fill up. Days passed, and he just kept getting worse. The doctors told Monique that there was nothing more they could do. I was feeding cattle at home, crying out to God. As, what, as I was driving the tractor, I remember being so broken, thinking, I need to be there with them. What do you want me to do, Lord? It was then that his peace flooded over me, and everything, that everything would be all right. I drove up to the house, and I phoned Monique and told her what had happened. A few hours later, they did an x-ray and the fluids had started going down. The doctors then told Monique they didn't think he would make it. When we started attending White Ridge, we were in another valley. We had moved to Winnipeg about a year earlier, and just after we moved here, our daughter Jennifer found out that she had cancer. She had just had her first baby a few months earlier, and this was devastating news. For the next several years, we prayed for her healing and for her salvation. And for me, I was not getting any answers to my prayers. I felt like my prayers were bouncing off the wall, ceiling. At this time, I wrote down all the things that God had done through in our lives and how my God had been faithful to us throughout our lives. And then I realized that he would continue to sustain us regardless of what was to happen. Those first few years at White Ridge were tough years for us and those who journeyed it with us. I'm in a prayer group of guys that meet on Thursday mornings and that spent a lot of time praying for us. Monique and I also joined a life group where most of the prayers were for the Nichols. I don't really remember if we prayed for anyone else. <laughs> Our life group is still together and they are still dear friends. In five years, our daughter was diagnosed with terminal cancer. My oldest brother died in a boating accident. Both Monique's parents passed away in Calgary, and then our oldest son and his wife separated, and we didn't see our grandchildren for years. If, I just want to encourage you now, if you are going through hard times right now and feel all alone, I'd like to encourage you to reach out to other believers and take the risk of sharing your struggles and pain. We were not made to walk this road alone. And it is in the hard times that great bonds are formed. What a faithful God we serve. Even though we went through all of this in such a short period of time, he sustained us through it all. He guided us into this beautiful fellowship of believers at White Ridge when we were at a very low point in our lives. We felt the prayers of many saints going up for us. Many of you brought meals over, which are the hands and feet of Christ in action. It was also at this church where, we, where I again found purpose in serving others. In August of 2017, in this church family, our daughter Jennifer was um, baptized. It was a very beautiful testimony. Then on September 27, 2017, she was permanently healed and be, will be waiting for us. We will have 15 beautiful grandchildren this July. We also have many in this congregation who we are blessed to call dear friends. So what is my goal at this stage of life? I would like to finish well. I do not want to die like Stephen, by stoning like Stephen did, but I do want the response from Jesus that Stephen received. Acts 7 verse 56 says, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is important because all other scripture says that he is seated at the right hand of God. I am a sinner saved by grace, knowing that one day he who bought me with his shed blood is one day going to stand up and welcome me home and will hopefully say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That is the, end. That is the ending I look forward to. Thank you.
Lord Jesus, all of this is for you, and you are the one who deserves all praise and all credit. And we recognize this morning that you are our great shepherd. We are your sheep, and you are teaching us the sound of your voice. You have gone out to find us and saved us when we were lost, and you carry us and you walk us through those valleys. You are such a good shepherd to us, and we want to give you praise with these lives that you've given us to live. I pray that you'd open our hearts to the scripture just now, that you'd open our hearts to the message today, and that you would use it as you see fit in each of our hearts for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stay standing. I'm going to call up Gretel Gonzalez. Oh, she's right here. And she's going to read the scripture for us this morning. Buenos días. Sorry, good morning. <laughs> we, uh, we are going to read today Romans um, chapter 15, verses 1 to 13. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failing of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each other of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such a harmony with one another in according with Christ Jesus, that together, you might be with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all Gentiles, and let all the peoples exalt him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesus will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Gretel, for reading the scripture to us this morning. And uh, thank you, Phil and Monique, for your stories of faith and uh, journey with us and, and uh, how grateful we are to have you part of our church family. I'd like to uh, begin by reminding you that uh, Pastor Rudy is out at Camp Nudemic with the Senior High Youth and uh, he has asked for us to pray for him in a minute. We're gonna just uh, lift up them as they continue and finish off their retreat uh, later today. I also wanna just remind you of some of the things that Pastor Doug shared last week when he was preaching on Romans chapter 14, a sermon called Learning to Walk in Love, and he referred to at the end of his message the Chinese character for disciple, which I thought was just fascinating. There's two symbols that are side by side the left one means uh, two people, and the right one has to do with walking. And so in the Chinese characters, the way they depict discipleship and disciple-making is two people walking together. What a beautiful picture. And indeed, coincidentally, that is our picture in our logo of life path. And, and if you ever hear life path here in our church family, it, it's our discipleship ministry for adults Everything that we do that is trying to take each of us one step, next steps closer to maturing in our faith 
in Jesus Christ, that is what we call life path, and we believe it is not meant to be done in isolation, even as Phil and Monique shared in their testimony. It's meant to be done together, and so we're on a journey together, and, and uh, we believe this is our philosophy of disciple-making, and uh, we have uh, this scripture, and there's so many others, you'll show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Well, we, uh, we have been really working on this in the last couple of years. COVID has been a season of time for the board and our staff to uh, journey together in saying, how can we become a better disciple-making church? We've read two books together. We've had several meetings. We've talked. And we've decided that we are going to engage and invite you, everyone that considers this their church family, into the rhythm of a year when two to three times a year, you will be invited to join us in a very intentional discipleship journey. Don't get intimidated by that word discipleship. It's just you taking your next step in your maturity of faith in Jesus Christ, and he wants you to do it with some other people. And so we're going to be doing that. We're going to let the sermons on Sunday be the, the, the format, the beginning point, and then we're going to offer different uh, tools and, and uh, resources for you to study along in the different groups. And there's two questions that you need to answer. One is, what will we learn about following Jesus through studying the Gospel of Matthew? That's this coming fall. And then secondly, who will we share this journey with? So that's, that's the key, is what are you going to do with your next steps, and who are you going to do it with? That's the way we look at it. And um, we've been organizing... Um, uh, how to organize discipleship groups. Uh, this past winter in Romans 12, we, we had kind of a first crack at that, and several of you were studying along with us. Some of you were Wednesday nights on Zoom or in person. Others were you in homes. Some were doing it in life groups. And um, this coming October, November, we're really looking forward to getting back to our meals together Wednesday nights, come to the table. This room is where we have it every Wednesday night in October and November. A kitchen team is going to prepare a, a meal. You're going to register ahead of time. It's $5. You're going to come. You're going to sit with a group of people. And then at 7 o'clock after the meal, you're going to be invited to have a place at the table to join in the next steps for you in studying the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, that way, two to three times a year, we're going to re-engage those that are new among us. You have an opportunity. There's a place at the table for you. And those of you that have been with us a long time, you'll find your, your people. You're going to maybe meet in homes. You're going to meet here on Wednesdays and get to know some new people. You're going to be uh, in different ways. Sometimes family, a family is inviting another family over and so on. And so that's the way we intend to continue. And I'm really excited that this fall we're going to start with the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe that the, the way that we're going to approach this is by looking at the value system that Jesus teach and taught his disciples, the values of the kingdom. That's what we want to live out. How do we do that? So to, this fall, we're going we're gonna to be walking the path of kingdom values, and we're going to study those three chapters that make up that incredible sermon that Jesus preached uh, to his followers. And one of the key verses that we're going to look at is in Matthew 7, 14, for, narrow, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Those words are true, folks. They, they were said by Jesus. And because the way is narrow and because the way is hard, you need to walk it with somebody else. You cannot walk the way alone. You will not grow in maturity in your faith in Jesus Christ all by yourself. You need to journey together. You need to be on a life path with some other people that will help you grow. And we're looking forward to helping you do that. So I wanted to give you a little bit more of a heads up I know that people are making their plans for this fall already now. Well, I would encourage you to make plans around your disciple-making journey with some other people that are part of this church family. Some of you are going to be hosting in your homes, I'd say. Some of you are going to be coming Wednesday nights here. Some of you are already in life groups, and you're going to journey that way. Some of you can't commit the way that some others can, but you can say, hey, I'm going to have one family over, and we're going to do that, and the kids can play while we study. And so let's, uh, let's pray that God will help us 
in this. And so uh, let me pray with us right now and lift up the, the, the youth as well. Father, we thank you. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you have been helping our board and our staff to really zero in on your calling for this church. We believe you have made us, uh, brought us together, given us this building and, and uh, other resources so that we can be all about your business. We want to be making disciples. We want to be growing in our walk with you. And we want to help others in their walk with you. And so, Father, would you give us grace as we take these next steps this fall. And I'm so excited about learning about uh, the Sermon on the Mount with, with my brothers and sisters. And Lord, we pray for the youth out at uh, Camp Nudemick right now. Lord, would you, would you bless them? I pray that their weekend already has been filled with a lot of joy, a lot of fellowship, a lot of good things, and that you'll help them as they finish it off this afternoon. We commit to our time now as we open the word of God and uh, show us what you want to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have studied American history... Uh, more than I have anyway. I've just been reading about this guy lately. But if you've studied American history, you'll know the name of George Washington Carver. Now, George Washington Carver was born into slavery in the middle of the American Civil War in 1864. He was born on a farm in Missouri, and he was owned by a white man named Moses Carver. This farmer had purchased George's mother, Mary, when she was just 13 years old. And even though he was against slavery, he had a 243-acre farm to run, and so he had this, these, these people that were running the farm with him. And uh, in the midst of this time, when George was still an infant, he was kidnapped. Along with his mother, they were kidnapped, and a band of raiders came into the farm and took all the slaves, and they ended up moving them to Kentucky, where they were sold again as slaves, and they were working for another farmer. Uh, Moses Carver was a, a good man and he hired some neighbors who would go and search and get George and his mother back. <clears throat> they found him and uh, Moses Carver gave his best horse in trade to get them to come back and, uh, and they came back. But in the process of this, his mother died. George's mother died and so Moses Carver and his wife Susan raised this young George and his brother James as their own. They taught them how to read and write, treated them like their own sons. At a young age, George took an interest in, in all things concerning plants, and he experimented with pesticides and fungicides, natural things. He became known in his whole neighborhood, all the farmers around. He became known as the plant doctor. He was so good at things, even as a teenager. Eventually, he would off, went off to study, and he became, became an, a, a, an incredible agricultural chemist and agronomist whose development of new products derived from peanuts, sweet potatoes, and soybeans actually helped revolutionize the economy of the South. So much so that some have written that he liberated the South from a dependency on cotton which was so tied to slavery and enabled them to move on to other crops. And he's also one that is known in modern times for the whole idea of crop rotation. Well, I share a little bit of his story simply to tell you all that as background before I read the next thing, which is a quote that he said at one point in his life that I think really applies to what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 15. So here's the quote. He says, how far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of both the weak and the strong. Because someday in your life, you will have been, one, you will have been all of these. Think about that. At some point in your life, you will be young, you will be old, you will be striving, you will be weak, you will be strong. Incredible wisdom in what Carver writes in this statement. And I believe that he came to such a wisdom lesson and a conclusion because of two factors in his life. 
I, beca- I believe he came to it because, first of all, he was forced to learn endurance through all that he went through and suffered. And secondly, he was given encouragement along the way. The sympathy and the grace from uh, Moses Carver and his wife Susan were incredible encouragement and, and, and even if they had no obligation legally to do so. These two words, endurance and encouragement, I want you to remember them because we're gonna come back to those words in just a few minutes. Well, in Romans chapters 14 and 15, we've been studying for the past several weeks, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, a church that is made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers, very different in their ethnicity background and in their religious experience background. And they did not always get along in the church at Rome. They were, had differences, great differences. Now, when it came to the things that were absolutely necessary and, and taught in Scripture, black and white, they had to get along, and the Word of God taught them so. But there were so many other areas, as we've been talking about, that were gray areas, and they l- needed to learn how to get along, though they did not agree on various things. So far, we have looked at three things that uh, we, we've seen. Oh, by the way, I wanted to just share this first with you. Some of the things that we're reading in, in Paul to, uh, to uh, the, the, the Romans makes me think of that book that probably some of you read, All I Really Need to Know, I learned in kindergarten back, back in the day. Robert Fulgham wrote that, and he said, um, All I Really Needed to Know... Uh, about how to live and what to do and how to be. I learned in kindergarten, wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. These are the things all, you already know. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. And it goes on and on. The point is, is that when you're reading Romans 14 and 15, you can almost say like, Okay, church at Rome, like, get it together. This is basic stuff. Learn to love each other. Learn to accept each other's differences. Well, Paul is, is saying that, but he's also going much deeper than just giving them this moral code veneer, which everybody did learn in kindergarten. He's going to the theological foundation under the moral code so that we would understand and theologize our behavior and understand there's something far deeper than what we realize. And there's three things that we have studied so far. Number one, genuine acceptance of one another is the only option for believers in Jesus Christ. Genuine acceptance. Secondly, Christians can disagree over customs and social habits all kinds of things like that, and both be perfectly right with God. Paul has been really nailing that. And he's using things in his day like meat sacrifice to idols or drinking wine or, and things like that. And thirdly, we must submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and refrain from passing judgment on others because we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and God won't be asking you about anybody else. He'll be asking you to give an account of your own life to God. So stop spending cerebral time on somebody else and think about your own journey and life. These are things that Paul has already taught as we get into chapter 15. And today we're going to take it a little farther. And Paul begins, I don't want to say four things this morning, but Paul begins by saying, you Christians, you have an obligation. And he especially says, you who are strong. The interesting thing about that, by the way, is that on every any given matter of grayness in the Christian world, you probably think you're strong (laughs) and the person on the other side of the fence is weak. Uh, We kind of usually think that way about ourselves. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and 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 not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, first observation is Paul puts himself in the strong camp. Do you notice that? Paul's saying, we who are strong. Secondly, thing that we notice is that the putting, the the responsibility, the onus is put on the strong. Paul's not talking to the weak here now. He's talking to the strong, and they're given extra responsibility to bear with the failings of the weak. 
Some of you who are the oldest siblings among your siblings, you will get this. Because how many times have you heard, come on now, be gentle with your sister, you're older. Or have you heard, come on now, you're the oldest, we expect more from you. You know, all parents read the same handbook, didn't they? How many times have you heard that if you're a middle child or an oldest child? And these young ones, they get off the hook. Anyway, that's what Paul's doing here, I think. Paul is saying, you who are strong, you've got an obligation to take care of the younger, the weaker, in, in conscience, in conviction, and be forbearing. Paul has not, this is not the first time this word obligation is used. In chapter 13, verse 8, he's already used it. He said, owe no one anything except the debt of love. So Paul has already used this same word, Obligation, you, you owe somebody, it's, you owe love. How do you, how do you rationalize that? Well, Paul rationalizes it by saying, because you know what, you've been given a huge amount and you've been given so much, now you can love. Live this ethic. The huge debt that Christ has paid off on your behalf, you now have a debt of love to others. You have an obligation to be, bear with all their frailties and foibles. And when you have this kind of love and the presence of Christ is in you and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which starts with love, is in you, then you're able to do that. You're able to serve somebody else's needs, bear with another person's weaknesses, please somebody else and not please yourself. And you don't do it in this martyr way. Oh, I'll take the fall, you know. You do it in this honest, humble, self-giving way and you determine to give up something so that you don't cause anyone else to stumble two weeks ago when I was sharing I shared a story about Charles Spurgeon you remember the great preacher in London England and he was accused by another preacher in the city of London Joseph Parker of being very worldly because he smoked cigars from time to time and Spurgeon was accusing Joseph Parker of being really worldly because he went to the theater from time to time. Well, the interesting story is, I didn't finish it that day, the, the story goes that Charles Spurgeon was walking downtown London, England one day, and he walked by a shop, and in the sign in the window said, we sell the cigars that Charles Spurgeon uses. <laughs> this is at the height of his popularity. And he went home and he threw out all of his cigars and he stopped smoking cigars because he recognized that what was for him at that time in his mind was a freedom he could enjoy would maybe be a stumbling block for somebody else. And so that's what we're called to. And we're, we're called to put on this wisdom from God and this humility of Jesus and examine our lives so that we might not just please ourselves but please others each of us has to apply that it's far too easy just to please ourselves that's a default setting folks you don't need to think hard on that one but you do need to think and pray about how to please others and I'm not talking about the people pleasers the people pleasing that masquerades as a genuine humility but is actually a pleasing self at a deeper level. <laughs> I know because I'm a recovering one, recovering people pleaser. And uh, no, we're talking about the kind of pleasing that really is able to look at life from another person's perspective and put aside your own desires and agendas and give preferential treatment. How do we do that? Well, the next thing that Paul goes on to say is we have an inspiration that comes from Christ. Verse 3, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So Paul's used the word please three times in three verses, and here's his logic. He says, you don't live to please yourselves, verse 1, but instead learn to please your neighbor, verse 2, because Christ lived a life that didn't please himself, verse 3. It's pretty simple logic, isn't it? You say that you're a follower of Jesus. You say that he has forgiven you of this debt of sin and so on. Well, now, follow through. 
Live the life that Christ lived. Don't please yourself. And in this inspiration, which means this idea of being breathed into, you need that, folks. You and I need that if we're going to not please ourselves. In fact, Paul adds a, a psalm to add to his argument in Psalm 69, verse 9. He, uh, he's applying this to Jesus. And actually, this is one of the Psalms that is quoted several times in the New Testament. For example, when Jesus comes into the temple and he sees that there's money changers and all this stuff going on, he, 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 he himself quotes this verse, zeal for thy house has consumed me. And he drives them out. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Well, this is the passage that Paul quotes. And what he quotes it for is because he says, the reproaches of those who have reproached you have fallen on me. In other words, God, all the stuff that has come against you, Father, now it's come against your Son. And all the stuff that is, is, is handled has come against Jesus was the lightning rod of all that anti-God stuff. And um, Paul is using that as an example of how we also, as we follow in the way of Christ, will have a lot of stuff come against us. There will be stuff. But first Jesus lived to please his Father. I've come down not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And then he has said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So God, the Son, lived to please his Father and then to live to please others in our need, in our deepest need, he gave his life to forgive us of sin. And that's our call. That's the way of Christ. We live to the glory of God and we live to minister to those that are around us. And so, leading to our next point, how do we do that? Well, our instruction comes from the Scriptures. Verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. There's those two words again. Through the endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Do you know the Bible is full of history, of all kinds of examples of, of people that lived it out faithfully. Now, it's got a lot of bad examples, too, and you can learn from those, but the Bible is full of examples. In fact, this summer coming up, we're going to do a sermon series for July and August called Follow Me as I Follow Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says that. And we're going to start in July the 3rd with Abraham, and we're just going to look at individual characters of the Bible and see what we can learn from them in terms of how they took their next steps in disciple-making, in discipleship, how they took their next steps in being obedient to loving, knowing, and following God. And uh, we're going to learn some things this summer about being disciples. See that... God has said our instruction in the Word of God comes from two things, and all of us need these two things. If we're going to take those next steps, we need endurance and we need encouragement. George Washington Carver needed endurance and he needed encouragement. Those two words in the Scriptures in the Greek text are very profound, and you've heard me speak of them at different times. The one for endurance is upomone. It means literally to stand under. A yoke, a burden, a circumstance, a difficult person has been put in your life, it, on your shoulders. It's inescapable. And for as long as God has put that circumstance, that person, that, that grief upon you, you stand under it, upomone, that's endurance. You stay under that knowing that God the Father knows what you can bear. He'll bear you up and he'll give you that endurance that you don't have in yourself. And the other word is encouragement, which means parakletos, coming alongside. He will come alongside of you. And in the scriptures, there's a whole cloud of witnesses that can also come alongside of you. You're not alone in your walk. 
And there's living believers that God has said, I want you to journey with them. Let them come alongside of you. Invite them closer, like Phil shared earlier in his testimony. And so these two words, incredibly important. And if we feed upon the Scriptures and meditate on them who have gone before, we will receive endurance. We will receive encouragement. The problem is that too many of us don't open this on a daily basis to receive our vitamins, our nutrients. If you can imagine that endurance and encouragement are like two essential nutrients that your body, your spiritual life needs, you're starving yourself if you're not in a regular diet of reading the Word of God and looking at the people that God has had go before Because if you have those nutrients of endurance and encouragement, in this verse 4 it says it's going to lead to hope. And hope is a sign of spiritual health. Hope is a sign of spiritual health and strength. A person is no weaker spiritually than when they have lost hope in God. And a person, your spiritual life, is never stronger than when your hope in God is strong. Your trust in God. Your belief in God. That though this is a hard time, I believe my God still lives. I believe He is sovereign. He will come through. And so you need the Scriptures, the instruction manual, Why? Because you're going to feed yourself in endurance and encouragement. Why? So that you can have hope. Why do you need hope? Because you're going to be, if you you don't have hope, you're not strong to face whatever is going to come against you. And finally, the interesting thing is that Paul connects, in verses 5 to 7, he connects that Scripture with the, the God of Scripture, who also is a God of endurance and of encouragement. Look at what uh, verse 5 says. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may, together, not in isolation, together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's so much in this passage But the first thing is, is that God is the God of endurance and encouragement. I want to encourage you to draw near to him. Same two words used again. Verse 5, Martin Luther in his commentary has an interesting comment. Martin Luther, as he comments on verse 5, he says that these virtues will not be found in you. They'll only be found in God. And if you are not connected to and leaning into God, you will not have endurance and you will not have encouragement. It's interesting. Luther was really strong on that. Lean into God. God is the one who must work for you. We have this idea as Christians that we must work for God, but it's completely the reverse. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who works for those who wait for him. God must work for us. Second Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Paul, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do, according to his good pleasure. You see, you don't even have the will to do what you need to do. He'll give you the will and to do. And he'll give you the will and the power to follow through. You can't do it on your own. You need God's family and you need God. Some of us, as we make plans for this fall, or even this summer, we need to make changes in our rhythms of life in our relational circles, in the, in the way that we can invite people closer, in the way that we can put aside our own selfish interests and start to draw near to somebody else and look at their interests. <clears throat> God loves to show himself strong and to work for those who will trust in him, and he'll fill you up. 
He'll fill you up with endurance in whatever you're going through, and he'll fill you up with encouragement. You know, the gospel, somebody said, the gospel's not a help-wanted sign. The gospel is a help-available sign. That's the God we worship. You know, we were made to know God, to love God, and to follow God. And it works that way. The more you know him, the more you love him. Isn't that true? And the more you love God, the more you want to follow him. It works that way. That's why that obligation is, from verse one, is not really a debt that we feel we owe. It's Christ's love compels us to love. And so Christ's love compels us, and, and Paul says, so learn then, learn to welcome one another, even as Christ has welcomed you. You know, I don't know what it is about robins and rabbits, but they get along. I was observing it this morning on my patio. A robin and a rabbit. The Jews and the Gentiles of my backyard. <laughs> like, if they had anybody, I thought, oh, here's going to be a big spat. No. And yet, I look at my bird feeder and I can't even see two blue jays on there, and they're the same. But they can't tolerate another one on that bird feeder. Something has to change in the heart through the grace of Christ for us to learn how to welcome each other the way Christ has welcomed us. You know, I know this is countercultural. This idea of love is so different than the world's idea of love. The idea of love in the world is, I will know that you love me if you make much of me. And I'm going to make much of me because I'm afraid that if I don't make much of me, maybe nobody else will. And then we Christians come along and we, we talk about the God of the Bible and the scriptural understanding of love and we tell people, no, you are actually created to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to give that love away and love others. You're not supposed to be too preoccupied with yourself. And they go, forget that. That's not the way I'm going to get my portion in this world. And so I like the way, just to conclude, I, I like the way John Piper describes it. Um, when we think about this God-glorifying life and connecting it to welcoming each other as Christ has welcomed us. Here's what John Piper says. He says, why do people go to the Grand Canyon? And he says, why do people look into the sky at night? People don't go to the Grand Canyon to have their self-esteem built up. People feel small on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and people feel small when they look into the stars at night. And yet, people love to do it. And he writes, I think the reason they love to do it is because it is written on their hearts. It is written on their hearts, the message that you were not made to be the center of the world. <laughs> you were made to have God at the center and free you up to love others. We need to make the connection, folks, between the glory of God and the love of others. And let me conclude with just one more quote from George Washington Carver. He says, anything will give up its secrets if you love it enough. Not only have I found that when I talk to the little flower or to the little peanut, they will give up their secrets, but I have found that when I silently commune with people, they give up their secrets also, if you love them enough. Let's pray. Lord God, would, would you teach us to love? Teach us to love the way you have loved us. 
We have a long way to go, Father. We're blinded by our own self-interests, self-pleasures, and our own opinions. It takes a supernatural grace of you to dislodge us from those things that we are so fixated on, opinions and ideas and so on, and, and actually be able to think about someone else. Lord, would you give us grace to do that? Because I believe that when we do that, a, a power will be unleashed among us that will rock this world. And that they will know that we are Christians by our love. And by this shall all people know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. That kind of love. And so continue to teach us about that. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord God, thank you for the perfect example of your son, your son Jesus, who died, humbled himself so perfectly for us. And I pray, Lord, by your endurance and by your encouragement that you would guide us in humbling ourselves too, not because we have a debt to pay back, but because it is how to experience joy in how you lead us and in how we can love others as well. May you be honored. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.